Good morning, people. If you are new with us this morning, my name's Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here at Wild Street. It's a pleasure to have you along this morning. We're going to spend some time looking at that passage that was just read. Um, and I pray that you'll be blessed today. Let me pray. Father God, we just we want to praise you for your incredible, your incredible grace to us, that you speak to us through your word as we gather as your people. And so this morning we pray you do just that, that you do it again. You'd help us to see your glory. You'd help us to see the love in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is something incredible about uh, reading the Bible. The idea that when you read the Bible uh, by yourself at home, uh, that the God of the universe can speak to you through it. That, that he speaks to me. He speaks to you. He speaks to me in my life with my sins and my struggles and my suffering. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But you don't need to be in this, a building to hear God speak to you. you. You can do it at home. You can do it wherever you like. It's wonderful. But sometimes it makes me miss the point that God doesn't just speak to me. A lot of, a lot of the time in the Bible, the Bible is actually speaking to us. It's actually speaking to us, the gathered community, the, the church of God, his people. And so as I looked at this passage, which I preached nine years ago, um, I looked at the script that I wrote nine years ago, I realized that I looked through that passage that um, I'd seen it primarily as Paul, Paul's prayer for individual Christians. That it was a message that was primarily about how you as an individual can have a deeper knowledge of God's love for you. And while I think that is kind of true, it is true, I think the real focus of this passage is that this is not a me prayer. This is a we prayer. This is a together, God speaking to his people together about how they can together deepen their, deepen in their understanding of the unlimited, the limitless love of God for his people all to his glory. And so if you knew this this morning, we've been working through the letter to the Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, it's to a bunch of churches in the regions of Ephesus, a church that at the time of writing had been tempted to start believing some false teachers who'd come into their midst, false teachers who'd questioned Paul and his original gospel that he'd preached to them. And so in response, Paul gives them a lesson on the true nature of power. Uh, they had questioned Paul's power as an apostle because he was in jail. They'd que questioned his gospel because they said, Does it really, is it really that effective in bringing change in your life? Paul gives them this lesson on the true nature of his power. Chapter 1, as we just got you to read, I got to read before, is this grand picture of God's grand plan to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Chapter 2, he goes into, deep, into detail to talk about how we have been through our trust in Christ, have been united to Christ, and therefore united with God in relationship. But also, through Christ's death and resurrection, we've been united to each other. That God has taken the dividing wall between Jew and non-Jew and created one new family under God, united to God as his people. An incredible reality that as he goes into chapter 3, he explains is the great mystery. That God has revealed the way that God has revealed a way for mankind to be united in Christ and with God, united all together. That although the church might look completely weak on the outside, 
that it is God's power in this world. God's power is revealed himself through the world, through the church. And so as we come to the section we just read, Paul prays on the end of that, he prays that the church together would know God's unlimited love to the glory of God. That the church together would know God's unlimited love to the glory of God. So firstly, let's see the power for us to know God's unlimited love. Verse 14, it's going to be up on your screen, or if you've got a Bible there, you can open that up. It's also in the Bible as well. So chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, uh, I will... I'm not going to make much of this, but Paul says he bows his knees to the Father. He literally kneels down as he prays. doesn't mean that we should have our kneelers back in the church. He used to have kneelers on these pews, actually, uh, with cushions so you could kneel down. Uh, it doesn't mean we have to do that. No, I don't think it means that. But I think it, you should stop for a moment and think, how do our bodies reflect our hearts before God? So Paul kneels on the ground. What is he saying? He's kneeling in obedience. He's kneeling in honour. He's kneeling in humility, in awe of his Father. How do our bodies reflect our hearts before the Lord as we pray? Paul prays, kneeling before, he says, the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. If you're new to the Christian faith, we don't believe in the Simpsons God. We don't believe in a God with a big beard up in the sky who just sits there by himself, pretty lonely. We believe in a God who is one God made up of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's given the descriptive word Trinity. We believe in a Trinity, a God in Trinity. Uh, one God, three persons. Paul here is saying that God is within himself the, the original and ultimate expression of family. That when you look at the families of this world, they're only a small picture of the bigger picture of God himself as one, three in one. And so he's praying to this father who is the father of all families, oh, sorry, from whom all families derive their existence and their name. And what does he pray, verse 16? That according to the riches of his glory, God's glory is his godness, his, his greatness, and what Paul is saying here is that God doesn't struggle to share that with others. It's out of his abundance of who he is that he shares, that according to the riches of his glory, listen, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Chapter 1, Paul has told us that when a person puts their trust in Jesus Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit of God. God the Spirit, one of the three in the Trinity, comes to live in the believer. And Paul is praying here that the Holy Spirit that they have as a consequence of trusting in Jesus would enable them to be empowered on their inside, the inner man he talks about, which is, which is a really broad term that talks about the thoughts, the emotions, your motivations. Other words for it are soul, heart, spirit. Essentially, it's the inner man is the, the control center of who you are as a human being. And so Paul prays that the Father would enable the Spirit to power them on the inside. What for? Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Heart is another term there for the inner man. Paul's praying the Spirit inside us would lead to our hearts being inhabited by Jesus 
Uh, it's like Jesus moves into a new place and takes up residence. Now, that, that's a little bit confusing because there's parts in the Bible where Jesus... Well, it makes sense of it, doesn't it? Because when Jesus leaves to go up into heaven to be with his Father in Matthew 28, he simultaneously says, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. And even in Ephesians, it talks about the fact that Jesus has been raised and he's seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. So have you ever wondered how Jesus managed to be up there and in our hearts at the same time? How does that work? Well, this is how it works. What Paul is saying here is that just as Jesus is united to the Spirit because they're part of the three of the Trinity, they're truly at one, one God, three in one, just as Jesus is united to the Spirit, so we, as we are united to the Spirit, the Spirit coming and dwelling in our hearts, brings the presence of Jesus into our hearts. Jesus moves in. He takes over the running of the household of our lives, our thoughts, our desires, our wills, our emotions. He moves in to direct your life. Keep reading verse 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Now when he says in love there, he's not talking about our love for each other or, or even our love for God. He's talking about the love of God himself. The, the love of God between Father, Son, and Spirit that existed from before eternity, before the creation of the world. God existed in this relationship of love within himself. And so he's saying we are planted into that love. One of the things, uh, it was really, really cute when my kids were young, was every time, and you might have experienced this if you've got kids, uh, I hugged my wife, Kelly, one of the kids would come ramming into the middle. They'd just come tossing it, and they just want to get inside the hug. They wanted to be embraced by the loving relationship. Paul says that God, at extraordinary cost to himself of his son dying on the cross for you, has grabbed you and dragged you into the love hug, has embraced you into his very relationship of father, son, and spirit, has brought you into the loving family of God. Now, these are some amazing truths. And as you read through them, sometimes they just kind of spill, like you hear them and they kind of wash over you. Yep, 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 yep. But I want you to stop and reflect for a moment. Through trust in Jesus, God has made you his child. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's enabled Jesus, his son, to dwell in you, to direct your life. He has brought you in to the love sandwich of God. He really loves you. He really loves you. But my guess, if you're anything like me, sometimes that can be really hard to believe. I, I'm guessing there's people here today who know that in their heads, that even as I say all those words, they know, yeah, yeah, they could even recite that. But you don't really know it. They hear all the ways the Bible says God loves you, but in the end, it's not very real to you. It's not as real to you as maybe the love of a, of a partner. It's not real, as real to you as the love of a dog or a cat even. It just feels like words that you hear in a church that don't move you or, and don't stick, don't stick. Or maybe sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't depending on the time of day. How do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of that reality? How do we grow in our, and deepen in our comprehension of God's love for us? Verse 18. 
Paul prays that they might have the power, sorry, verse 18, that they may have strength or power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is simply praying here that they would know in a greater way the love of God. They would know in a deeper, more profound way the love of God. And he points out here, we see here in this passage that there are actually three limitations to us actually having a deeper understanding of God's love for us. One is you need the Spirit. You need the Spirit. You are not going to grow in your understanding of God's love for you by running around and performing for God. If somehow you can draw God's love into your life in a greater way by just doing things and doing things. No, the, the means through which we understand how much God loves us is not through our intellectual comprehension, or sorry, not just our intellectual comprehension, but by the Holy Spirit enabling us, uh, superpowering our comprehension, that we might see the love of Christ in the gospel. First 20 years of my life, I went to a Catholic school. And so every Wednesday we would go to Mass. And at the front of the mat, at the front of the church, you'd have a cross with Jesus on it. And the priest would get up and he'd talk about the love of God. And for 20 years, I would be able to recite, I could be able to recite the actual Mass. Like the words the priest would say, I could recite that. But I never knew God loved me. I never knew God loved me. And then it was, when I was 20 years old, someone talked about me loving God and God loving me. And I got to this point where I thought, I just don't get it. I don't know how to love God. I don't know how to have this loving relationship with God. And I got to this point, I was down in Torquay on the Great Ocean Road. I was angry because I just had a fight with my girlfriend. And I just talked to God for the first time and said, God, I don't know how to love you. You're going to have to show me how. And about two weeks later, this book turned up. And as I was reading that book one night, uh, it talked about what it meant for God the Father to send Jesus into the world to die for me. And I realized in that moment, God loved me. It wasn't about me performing for God or, or, doing, or trying to love him. It's that God in Christ loved me. He reached down for relationship with me. Now, I thought at the time, this is the strange thing, I thought at the time I'd figured it out. I thought at that moment, hey, I figured out the whole God thing, how he loves us. And I, but as I kept reading the scriptures, I realized it wasn't me. In that moment in my bed, 22 years ago, God the Spirit, Holy Spirit, opened my, answered my prayer, opened my eyes that I might see the love of God in Christ for me. So if you are in this place where you don't really know how much God loves you or you're struggling to comprehend how much God loves you, then the first thing you need to do is pray. Pray for the Spirit. Say, please, God, show me how much you love me in the cross. Show me how much you love me, Jesus. Help me to see what I can't see by myself. If you're someone who today who's exploring faith in Jesus, let me encourage you to start there. Listen to the message about Jesus, all the while saying, God, show me. Show me what I can't see myself. First limitation in us understanding, deepening in our understanding of the love of God is that you need the Spirit. Secondly, you need other Christians. Paul says there, we grasp the love of God together with all the saints. 
As we go into chapter 4, we're going to see that Christians do not grow in isolation. It's, we are a part of, we're brought in, united to Christ, united to each other. We, we, he has the metaphor of a body. We grow as a body that builds itself up in love. And how does it do that? Well, the parts of the body speak the truth, speak the truth in love to each other. That is, they speak to gospel to each other. They remind each other of how much God loves them daily, regularly. They gather together to do that. And so we grow in our comprehension of God's love as we, by the Holy Spirit, remember his love, speak his love, and demonstrate his love together as his church. Now, this is an important word for those who are able to make it to church, but for whatever reason are choosing not to. You can be a Christian and not go to church. Going to church does not make you a Christian, but you will struggle to grow in your understanding of God's love without engagement with his people, without the gathering of his people. Sermon videos will not cut it. A great devotional life will not cut it. You need to take your place in God's gathered body. So you need the church, you need the spirit. Third limitation is when we think we understand God's love. Now notice he says, he says here that God gives us the power to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now that sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? It doesn't make sense. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? It's, he's saying, he's praying for them to have the power to comprehend the incomprehensible. That God's love is so big, we can com never completely understand it. So if you've been to church a number of times, maybe you've been to church since you were a kid, I think one of the dangers is we can start to think we fully understand God's love. It becomes very small in our minds so that even the words I've said today, even the words we heard from Ephesians chapter 1 kind of wash over you because you feel like, yeah, I heard that. I've learnt that. I know that. But if you think you fully understand God's love, you're wrong. You're wrong. For a couple of reasons. Firstly, the type of knowledge that it is. It's, it's not like knowing how to do a Rubik's Cube. Where you either know how to do it or you don't know how to do it. That's not the type of knowledge we're talking about. We're talking about relational knowledge. Knowing how much a person loves you. And so by very definition, that sort of knowledge has a depth to it. But secondly, and more importantly, the reason we struggle to... You can't, you can't ever think you fully understand the love of God because God is infinite and by definition, his love is infinite. The love we're talking about when we talk about the love of God primarily is the love of God within himself. The, the, the love that makes up his very nature. And so when we say we fully understand the love of God, we're saying we fully understand God, which is ridiculous. No, no. 1 John says God is love. His very nature is love. And God has decided to bring you into that through the work of his son. And he's done that 
so that you might gaze for eternity, that you might be perpetually in awe of just how much he loves you. The depth, it's like the ocean, like Eleanor was talking about, it's like the ocean depth. You can never get to the bottom of God's love. Paul prays that that together they would have the power to know God's unlimited love, that last line there, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's what he's already said that you'd be filled with God the Holy Spirit, that Jesus himself is dwelling in you, that you might be firmly in God's loving family and that you might be embraced in the God group hug, that you might be filled with... There's nothing that God has that if you're in Christ, you have not been given. Friends, to grow in our understanding of the love of God, we need to have more than just a bunch of intellectual truths that we sign off on. You need the Spirit of God, you need the gathering Christians, and you need to know that you don't fully know. You need to sit under his word and have his spirit enable you to read it and hear it properly. And so that's why this prayer in the, in the whole book of Ephesians is pretty crucial. Because Paul, as you go through 4 to 6, is going to start talking about the life of a Christian. Or the person who loves others and loves God. And so he's put this prayer here in port strategically to say, you need to start by understanding God's love before you try to love others. Or while, as the first principle before you love others. That our love for others is almost like a reflex action of God's love for us. So this prayer is saying, if you've not understand, understood my love by now, it's kind of a warning to go back and also to what to go forward. If you've read through Ephesians up to this point and you haven't understood God's love for you, then you need go, to go back to chapter 1. That's why I read chapter 1. Because 1 to 3 are there to show you God's grand plan of what he's done and how he's called you to be a part of it. God wants us to deepen in our comprehension of God's love for us more and more each day. But there's one final thing he wants to say here in his prayer. And that is, don't make God's love all about you. So verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You, you cannot pray more than God is willing to give. He wants to answer these prayers in ways you can't even imagine. Listen, according to his power that is at work within us, the, the Holy Spirit that he's given us to transform us to the inside, from the inside out, verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our growth as a church together, as we speak the truth in love, as we sit and read his word and have it remind us of the love of God, as we serve each other and demonstrate that love, as we grow in a deeper awareness of God and his love for us, is what he's saying here is so that God would be glorified by his church, that God would be made known, that God would be made famous, that the church would display God's greatness and his grace and eternity right through into the new creation. Now, it's really important. It's really important. It, it might sound strange to say this, but God's love for you is not just about you. God's love for the church is not just about the church. It, it's not even, God's love is not just about enabling you to feel loved. I think one of the distortions of our view of God's love 
is that sometimes what it can make it, as you, what you're hearing is God loves me. What you what you think is that me or the church is at the centre of the universe, and God loves us, and so we make His love all about us. We make His love all about us feeling loved, like we have. I don't know if you heard the metaphor, the idea of we have this love tank that we need to have filled up. And so God just becomes this person out there that fills up our love tank, that makes us feel loved, our need for love. But friends, we need to understand God's love is not there to primarily make us feel loved. That is a consequence. It's not there to make us primarily feel loved. God loves as an expression and revelation of who he is. That he is the God who is love. And so his love for us is not to make us turn in on ourselves and make us feel happy. Oh, isn't it wonderful that God loves me? Like we are these cul-de-sacs or these receptacles for God's love that just get, and his love stops with us. But his love for us is that we might turn outward that we might be in awe of the, of the one who loves us and not be in awe of the feeling we have that he loves us. God's love is not aimed for us to make us look in. God's love is made to make us look outward at him and at other people. It's about inspiring or compelling you to live for him and others more. So when we pray to God, show us your love, it's not so that we might feel better about ourselves, although I think that's the consequence. It's that we might stop looking into ourselves, but look to him, be in awe of him, be in awe of the Lord Jesus, his death for us and what he's done for us. God's love is about compelling love for him. And so right now I'm going to pray this prayer for us. And we're going to pray it together, in fact. We're going to pray... This very prayer that God's love would be clearly understood in a deeper way that we might love him and love others as a springboard for what we're going to do in Ephesians 4 to 6. So if you want to stand with me, it's going to be up on the screen. Let's pray together out loud. Father, out of your glorious riches, Strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being. Father, thank you that we are part of your divine family. Establish us in your love. Father, please give us power to comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ. Let us know in a deeper way this love that surpasses knowledge. Fill us to the measure of all the fullness of God. Please, Father, we know you can do more than we ask or imagine. Do your work within.